Welcome to the Victorious Souls Podcast with self-love coach, Danielle Burnock. Things happen in our lives that make us feel powerless. But Danielle believes that anyone can become a victorious soul by reclaiming what belongs to them, their value, their belovedness, and their God-given superpower. The Victorious Souls Podcast is dedicated to empowering you to rise up, reclaim, and embrace the change from survive to thrive as a victorious soul through the power of love. And now, here's that lady on the internet who loves you, Danielle. Welcome to the Victorious Souls podcast with me, your host, Danielle Burnock, that lady on the internet who loves you, connecting you to the love that heals so you can love yourself from Survive to Thrive. Today, I have with me Corey Rosenke, and he is a childhood trauma survivor who left home at the age of 14. But now he is an author, pastor, presenter, and a tenacious pursuer of truth, helping others find the clarity they need in life. Welcome to my show today, Corey. I can't wait to get into your story and your book. <laughs> well, thank you so much. Delighted to be. Who wouldn't want to be um, with the lady on the internet who loves you in a conversation? So thank you so much for that. <laughs> oh, thank you. And tell it to, to get started, tell us a little bit about your childhood. Where do you come from? Where did you grow up? And what are some of the things that you went through as a kid? Sure. So I grew up in Western Canada. I was born in Edmonton. Um, maybe I'll give you too much information here. When I was born, um, uh, my mom says that um, I was born and the doctors ran out of the room with me. And she said she heard them saying, come on, little baby, come to life, come to life. And this was, of course, 45 years ago. I hate to tell my age, but 45 years ago. And it was that she's a shy lady and she didn't want to ask. And no one told her. So she said she was there for like two or three days. Didn't know if I was alive or not before they finally brought her, uh, me back and, and I was alive. Apparently, I had you know drowned in my own fluids or, or whatever the medical term of that is. They, and, they, um, she was there for two or three days not knowing? Yeah, and she didn't ask. And that was and, 45 uh, years ago. That wasn't yeah. like when I was born, because, you know, I'll okay. tell my age, I'm going to be 65 in August. So, wow, that's hard um, to believe. You look very young. Thank you. 65 <laughs> is young, though. It is young. 65 is the is the new 35, right? Uh, sounds good to me. <laughs> so then I'm glad you lived. I'm, yes, thank I'm you. Thank for you for that. But, yeah. you know, that, well, your childhood and that, because you had a rough upbringing. <clears throat> Yeah, so uh, my parents were not together when I was when I was born. They had separated at that particular stage, and uh, I think it was after the first year that my dad had, had come back. Um, and um, my father um, was a guy who has he he still does lots of dreams, lots of big dreams. Um, a talented fella. Uh, sadly, a, a number of them didn't come true. And um, I remember as a young child, he built this giant house, beautiful house. I still remember. Had a sunken living room. I remember setting up the Christmas tree at Christmas time, and it was like a twenty-foot tree, huge, beautiful. And then downstairs there was a woodworking shop, and then there was an underground passage that went to an indoor pool. It was like a glass pyramid, huge pool, beautiful. This was up until I was about uh, seven years old, and then uh, the eighties hit. Dad was dad was a carpenter. The recession in the eighties hit, and um, lost it to the bank. And um, I remember. Uh, packing we packed everything into the old firebird car and um we drove to an intersection in the road and dad said i'm gonna whip a yui and whichever way we point when we're done we go and so this is alberta uh we pointed west and so we went west and we headed into british columbia and um for that first year we lived in a tent by multiple lakes um and i specifically remember we were in a t near a town called new denver british columbia um and there was an old abandoned Bible camp uh, down by the edge of the lake. And we set up there. We're living there. And the, uh, my parents put us in school. It was about a mile and a half, two miles from town. I remember there was a, a trail that led along the edge of the lake to the school. And so my brother and sister and I would walk that trail to school. Um, and then um, we got going to a church. And someone in the church said, hey, you guys living, living by the lake? 
you know, they said, come on, at least and camp in our yard for a bit. So we went and camped in their yard and then dad got you know, a carpenter job and we were able to rent a house. Um, but times, times were tough. You know, it was, it's interesting when you talk about things of God and, and how different people, um, latch on to truths that they sometimes um sometimes we let go of truths too quickly and sometimes we hold on to things that we think are truths but they're not perhaps not and i think there was a bit of that with my father um he had the opinion that he would um he would not save himself um and so anytime money got tight kind of relied on god to supernaturally solve the issue um people would offer him work and he'd say no i'm not supposed to take that work i don't feel like i'm supposed to take it and so we would get evicted. We'd move to this place and dad would work for a while. We'd get evicted, move to the next place. Um, so growing up, I think I counted one time that between the ages of of like um, being born and 12 years old, we moved like 18 times or something like that. It was it was a lot. Um, so putting down roots um, was hard to do, obviously. And um, as a kid, I just embraced it. I don't know how. I don't think my kid would embrace it as easily as I did. Um, but, um, I embrace it. I can't imagine kind of what my mom must've been going through at certain times like that. And then of course, dad got depressed, um, anxious, um, angry. I felt like God had let him down. And, um, and it's very interesting to see to, to, to now, the one thing I can say about my parents that I appreciated is growing up is they went through a lot of stuff, um, that they didn't always we didn't always see it. It wasn't until I grew up that we actually heard about all the stuff that had taken place. They did a pretty good job of protecting us from certain aspects of it. Um, but um, there was a lot of anger, frustration, you know, the, the anger of shattered dreams and my, um, that began, began to um, show in the way that we were, we were, we were treated um, from my own, my own part. You know, I feel like there was times in my life where I were out childhood. I wasn't allowed to speak wasn't allowed to think, um, wasn't allowed to have an opinion. Um, you know, I, I don't want to share too much about my dad's story, but, um, you know, there was, there was things between him and mom that, um, betrayals that took place and, um, um, the anger and the rage that came out of all those different scenarios. And, um, and so witnessing those things, um, kind of led me to, um, be independent, be by myself, be a loner, um, I very specifically remember at one point we were living up in a log cabin in just outside of Kelowna, British Columbia, way up in the mountains, the kind of kind of the height in the mountains where you look down on the clouds, <laughs> right? Wow. You know, the, the clouds are rolling, you're looking down on the clouds. And um, I remember uh, just as a kind of a loner boy, um, I would uh, take my dog and my backpack and a book and I would just disappear into the mountains, sometimes for couple of days at a time i don't know how or why my parents let me do that when i was you know 11 and 12 years old but i would just disappear into the forest and um were you still going to school then i was still going to school at that particular time i remember actually you know you know how the old timers oftentimes will talk about you know it was uphill both ways <laughs> it wasn't uphill both ways but it was a mountain and it was three it was three miles down to catch the school bus and then three miles back up you know at the end of the day wow. um but i I had my books. I had my dog. I would just disappear into the forest, lean against a tree and just get whisked away, you know, in, in whatever way I was reading. So I was an avid reader at a very, very young age, not just not just kids storybooks, but, you know, um, a lot of the a lot of the meaty stuff, you know, Plato and Aristotle and Marcus Aurelius. And I, I remember at church one time there was this old timer that heard that heard I loved historical books. And and um, theological books and like and in intellectual books and he's like oh you should read C.S. Lewis, and what he meant was I should read the Chronicles of Narnia. <laughs> I didn't <laughs> I didn't I didn't know that but so then I, the first book I read of C.S. Lewis was a Problem of Pain you know and then I got into Mere Christianity and the Screwtape Letters and you know and I'm a, I'm an eleven to twelve years old just wanting to know why I mean my whole life that's kind of been my thing I've wanted to know why why are things the way they are why am I the way I am why am I feeling the way I'm feeling and. And I, you know, I, I looked to the intellectuals of the time and the intellectuals of the age to 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 try to explore those questions. Um, Do you think so, that uh, the moving so often kind of spurred that on? Because like, why are we moving again? Why are we moving again? Why are we moving yeah. again? What's going yeah. on? Do you think that yeah. got into that? Yeah, definitely. Because I think that's the one place I could put down roots, right? Um, I, In your uh, books. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> if I had a good friend, I might not have a good friend next month, right? But but I would always, you know, I would always have the Iliad. I would always have the Odyssey, right? I, I would always have mere Christianity with me. I, I could read that whether we were in the Yukon or whether we were in British Columbia, or whether we were in Alberta, whether we were in a tent or whether we were in a house, you know? And so I think that probably is, I think you're probably right. That probably what drove me to to the books. Um, and I just, I specifically remember just that joy of being whisked away. Yeah. You know, of just kind of immersing into it. And and it's interesting because, you know, in addition to all the, you know, what we might call intellectual books I was reading, then I was also into Louis L'Amour Westerns. And, um, I, you know, I remember um, Louis L'Amour, you know, has, really has a, a type. You know, there's all these real tough men, you know, toting guns, you know, walking around the Old West kind of thing. <laughs> but they were always men of integrity. And I really look at that, you know, that, that meant a lot to me, you know, for, for me to look at these men as role models. And um, it kind of sounds strange, but that, you know, when I look back over my life and I think, who did, who did I want to emulate my life after, right? Who, mm-hmm. you know, as weird as it sounds, you know, it's, you know, it, it's Tyrell Sackett from Louis L'Amour, right? Mm-hmm. It's uh, Julius Caesar to a certain degree from Plutarch's Lives, right? It's, you know, the, the, these are the people that I looked back and I thought, oh, the, I, I learned how to be, you know, a quote unquote man, you know, from- well, It sounds like- it was very fortunate that you your escapism was into mm-hmm. books because kids very can true. get into all different kinds of escapism to escape the yeah. difficulties they're going through. Yeah. But it was so often... fortunate that you had these positive kind of things to look to that yeah. carried you through, that you, you picked the good parts of them. It was like God was looking out for you back then. I mean, yeah. he kept you from drowning from the beginning. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I was I was really shy, didn't want to speak as a kid. And so, you know, I think that's part of it. But I, I often think about that. And you're right, how there's so many other areas I could have got sucked into. You know, I, I could have got into to drugs or alcohol, could have got into sex or run around or in the middle of the night or whatever it was. And, you know, and I knew a lot of people that that's what they did. You know, that's what they pursued. But for me, it was it was just just reading. Yeah. So, well, then you left home at 14. Why did you leave yeah. at 14? Where'd you go? What happened? Yeah. What spurred well, you to leave? Yeah, that was... Um, I mean, that's uh, pretty young to be just leaving home. I mean, even in the 80s. Yeah. Or it was yeah, 90s was, then, right? <laughs> yes, I think I believe you're right. Yes. The uh, Well, it was one of those scenarios where um, my dad told me, um, you can go to school or you can go to work. You can't be a coach potato. <laughs> and... Um, you know, I and I, I've never been a coach potato type, um, and so I I got a job uh, falling trees uh, or limbing trees to start with for a, a logging company, um, and then um, I the door opened for me to leave home, and I left home at uh, said fourteen and went and became went to a different province, became a hired hand, um, and uh, horse trainer. You know, I spent a lot, a lot several years as a horse trainer, and that's when it got started. Was working for as a hired hand uh, training quarter horses, and um, you know, I, I left home um, thankful for a lot of things, but at the same time, uh, you know, a lot, a lot of, a lot of scars. You know, when you when you move around that much, when you see things happen to your mother, um, when you feel like you don't have a voice and can't speak, um, you know, it, it obviously it um, it affects you a lot, and you know, it probably led to a lot of my my quietness, my removedness. You know, I was always that boy in the corner. Uh, all the other kids were off playing somewhere and I just kind of sat in the corner and listened to people talking. And, and you know, I, I, I liked that. I, I loved listening to grownups have conversations, you know, more than, you know, messing around with, with the other kids my age, but, um, but all those things came, came together. And, um, and, you know, I, I left home like a lot of young men um, vowing. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be my dad. I wouldn't do things the same way. Um, I was going to be something. I wasn't going to get evicted. I was going to own a place, right? Um, I was going to be the best. Um, I was going and, and it just driven, just driven to excel. I wasn't going to be a horse trainer. I was going to be the best horse trainer in the world, right? That was this is my attitude, right? I wasn't going to be a carpenter. I was going to be the best carpenter in the world. And that, that was kind of the idea that drove me. Um, and um, well, and I'm so, thinking about your book as I told you before I started reading your book today. So I have enough of that yeah. just to insert yeah. in here where I normally yeah. wouldn't be doing this. But I'm thinking about your book and what you've said about your childhood and the the four, the five uh, cravings of the human soul. Mm-hmm. 
and the one is significance. And you were so yeah. insignificant at home. Yeah. And what you were going at was after was significance. Yeah. Yeah. I, heck, I'm on the coach with you right now. You you hit the nail on the head. That That's very true. You know, when, it, when we look at the five cravings of the soul, you know, and it's interesting as people dig into them, we, 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 they all affect us, you mm-hmm. know, but there are certain ones where we can say, Ooh, those, those really resonate. Those are the ones that really get me that I really struggle with. And you're absolutely right. Significance was one of them. I was out to prove myself. Um, um, you know, and again, a part of it, you know, and another one, part of me, the last of the five cravings that I talk about is innocence. Um, it's kind of that hair trigger of feeling like if someone is accusing you or, or making you feel guilty, you know, your response to that type of scenario. And those are my two big ones, right? It, mm-hmm. Our significance and innocence. And, and those are the ones that, um, you know, and I talk about that in the book. I really, I need to find them in, in my maker, right? Yeah. He, he, he's the one that tells me that I'm special. He's the one that, that made me for a purpose. He's the one that, that gave his life for mine. Um, and in him, I can be declared innocent, <laughs> you know, but those two significance and innocence, those are definitely the two that really, really rise up and, and bite me sometimes. <laughs> if I'm, I'm going to struggle with one, if I'm going to try to kind of do one my own way, which of course is always a failing Rubble. scenario, you know, exactly. <laughs> right. It's, it's going to be one of those two. Yeah. Oh, so you're working on being the best horse trainer and tree baller and all of that. Mm-hmm. And then how long did that go on? And you know, then you emerged into adulthood in there somewhere. Did you graduate <laughs> from high school or anything or did not you still back go? Then. Oh, nope. Okay. No, I was, um, I, I, um, I didn't go to seminary until much later. Um, and so the, um, so what I had done was at that particular time when I was a horse trainer, um, there was a girl that lived down the hill. Um, and I used to ride my horse down there and that, um, that, that girl is now my wife. And, mm. um, and I would, um, so would ride down the hill and meet her. And then I moved away, but then came back and kind of, and, and, and met her again. And um, so that was when I remember picking her up from school uh, when she was in grade 12, I had a 67 Fargo and it was always on the verge of breaking down. I I won't even tell you all the things about it because I don't know if the cops might still come after me, but there was, (laughs) it was a, it was a train wreck that, that particular truck, but um, picking up from school, I was picking up my cousin actually one day and and she saw me or she remembered me and I picked her up and started dating. And yeah, so then we, we started dating when we were 17 and we got married when we were 19. We had our first, um, child or daughter when we were 20 and our, our son uh, Dawson when we were 21 and then um, and then many many years later 2010 we had our our third son Maximus so he is he's 11 years I think younger than uh, his older siblings the so the older two are grew up and moved out right now but we still have Maximus at home with us so cool yeah 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 well what happened you said you vowed not to be your dad and what happened with that because my, you said I, that your that bow didn't work which oftentimes does and sometimes it bites us in the butt sometimes we succeed yeah. so much we hurt ourselves you know yeah. the inner vows they they always come crashing down at some point so yeah yeah and there's a certain degree of arrogance to a statement like that right i'm i'm never going to become this particular thing and and that is i mean as as a pastor and counselor now i'm i've, I've talked to a lot of people i mean a lot of a lot of men um a lot of husbands, you know, when, when things come into their marriage and whatnot, that is exactly the same thing that happened. They vow they would never become something and, and then we turn into it. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, so in my particular case, um, you know, as a young married man, um, I was a control freak. I couldn't feel safe if I didn't control. That's the way I felt, right? So well, Yeah, you had so little control growing up. Yeah. That makes sense. Those are trauma responses that are going yeah. on there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, exactly. Yeah. So um, something that my my daughter said to me, because we got married young, not quite as young, had both our kids had one at 22 and one at 24. Well, the prefrontal cortex is not complete till you're 25. Yeah. So my daughter said, you were married and had kids before you had a whole brain. Yeah. So it's like I can say that to you, too, Corey. You were married yeah. with two kids before you had a whole brain. That's true. So it's yeah, like you got to give yourself a certain amount of break. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> No, exactly. And so, um, you know, I tried to control my surroundings. You know, if if you're going to, if you know, like there's the old saying, if you want, you want to have something done right, do it yourself. Um, and I took that to uh, the heights of arrogance, you know, the, the highest you could take those type of scenarios. 
so um very controlling very suspicious um um you know another one that you know kind of came and bit me especially in my early years was um running away from bills right you know you buy things you can't afford and then you got to pay for them and you know and just and instead of taking responsibility for my actions and and uh you know the the tendency and the temptation to to run away um and um just the hardness that kind of comes over your heart you know especially especially when you're looking for innocence like myself as well and so uh, when someone approaches you and says hey you're guilty of this thing even if you are guilty of it you know your, your instinct is to push back and and close your mind to yourself and view yourself as some sort of hero and not see yourself as you really, really are. And so those are all things I had to work through. Those are all things that I had to um, confront, you know, and of, of course, my wife came into our relationship with her own baggage. And, you know, at the, at the time it was kind of baggage grinding up against baggage. <laughs> and, you know, it, it's interesting again, for a lot of young couples, you know, they, you come to a scenario like that. And if you're unfortunate, if you don't have the right people around you, you come to the conclusion that, uh, clearly, we weren't meant to be together. I'm out of here, right? Um, but there are, then there are the certain scenarios where it's where you can see, you know what? God brought us together on purpose um, to help each other heal, you know. And that, and really, that is something that has kind of been a special thing in our marriage. Is um, you know, so, to a certain degree, uh, my wife exhibits things that specifically, specifically trigger will trigger me, right? And uh, like I said, for a while, you can be like, ah, we were never meant to be together, especially when you're young and immature. And as you get older, you're like, wow, this is this is actually allowing me the opportunity to confront my own issues and work through them, right? And and vice versa, right? And that's um for all the young couples out there who who are are tempted to just to think, you know, that um if you have differences or if um um you know there's some sort of argument or you know that that it's you just got to walk away at that particular point. That's not always the case, you know. Often, you know, oftentimes, um, I would say that those are specific wounds that that you can help each other heal. Like you were brought together to a certain degree, even for the purpose of, of helping each other heal in that particular issue. Yeah. Yeah. That's beautiful. So my, so, like as an example, I'm a, I, so I come in and I want to control everything. Well, my wife, she's the opposite. She wants no control. Right. And it's, and it's fascinating because, you know, to see these total polar opposites and yet over the years and over time, I can see how, you know, by the goodness of God and, and by thankfully being surrounded by the right people and the right counselors, you know, um, my desire to have things in such a way um, helped her to live a little more responsibly, a little less out of control. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and her refusal to be controlled. It was exactly what I did. Boy, if, if I had, if I had married a lady that let me control her, I would have grown into just a tyrant. You know, and, and so I'm so thankful that um, I I have a wife who, who doesn't let me. Amen. So when did faith enter your story? You've been bringing what? up God a little bit here, a little bit there, and your dad stopped. And mm -hmm. so how did faith become a part of your story and, you know, bring you to where you are today? Yeah. Well, that's the interesting story. I, gr I grew up in a Christian home. Um, and um, but for me, when I especially when I grew up, when I left home, at 14, you know, I didn't, I wasn't walking with the Lord. I could, I mean, I grew up on the Bible story so I could answer the Bible story questions, but I wasn't walking with the Lord. And when I met my wife and when we got married, she was the opposite. She did not grow up in a Christian home, but she always had a curiosity about God. And um, so we got together and she had a curiosity and a desire to know God. Uh, I had the information, but really no curiosity or desire to know God. That's um, so funny because you had this big searching for why. Mm -hmm. And yet there yeah. would, were these blinders. For yeah, why absolutely. about God? This was like yeah. kind of shrouded in something. Yeah. Well, I, I think that's kind of the story of our lives, right? I mean, uh, so many oftentimes the, the truth is right in front of us, but we have our blinders, right? We have we have our things that we refuse to see. You know, there, there are times we walk through life willingly blind or willingly deaf and not wanting to see and hear. But in this particular case, we... My wife's like, I want to go to church. And I'm like, okay, well, let's go to church. And we're we're we were blessed to go to a church that just loved on us. And mm -hmm. um, and the uh it, it was interesting because we fell in love with the Lord together at that stage. And I remember in the those early, the first like six months prior to going to church, I was once again reading the Iliad by Homer for probably the third or fourth time. <laughs> and at the beginning of the Iliad, I don't know if you've ever read it, but the beginning of the Iliad, it's, you know, it's <laughs> 
they're talking about um Agamemnon and and the whole you know Achilles and they're preparing for battle it's very redundant they're like oh there was this many barrels on the ship you know this many swords kind of thing and then they talk about that over and over it's it's really redundant but in I that get book, so bored yeah I do tend to get bored by those big books that they say yeah. are these big thing and like they're too deep right. it's like they don't make sense unlike your book I love yeah. how you wrote your book <laughs> Thank you. But in that book, anyway, the gods take sides, the, the gods, you know, the Greek gods. And so there are certain gods that are on the Trojan side and there's certain gods that are on the Greek side. And um, and there's all this backstabbing and there's adultery and murder. And it's like the gods are no. Di- and I remember I remember having a moment sitting there. And in these my are own, the gods. They're always yeah. awfulness. Oh. Yeah, exactly. I remember sitting there in my study. I had a little study at the time and realizing, thinking God isn't like this. But if he's not like this, who is he? And, and what is what is he like? And that's that it was like a moment. It's like it's like a switch clicked in my brain. And all of a sudden, I wanted to know who God was. Right. Mm-hmm. And not just the stories I had heard growing up, but I wanted to know who he was. And it was it was from reading the, you know, the Iliad by Homer that I had that <laughs> moment where I'm like, I need to know who God is because he ain't like this. And um I love how what... God uses just anything, you know, yeah. it, anything that will work. Anything with the orbs. That's how much he loves us. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. The way C.S. Lewis calls it, the hounds of heaven, right? Mm -hmm. How God God sends the hounds of heaven after us. It's just relentless, right? And from, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure that there are people praying for me as a young boy and, and, you know, for myself praying for people now, you know, just there's that comfort of knowing that God isn't abandoning them. God isn't letting go. This particular person, or in this case, me, maybe off wandering testing his own waters, you know, trying to do things on his own, but God isn't letting me go. He sent the hounds of heaven after me and he will track me down. So, Wow. Yeah. So then when did you become a pastor? So um, that first church we were at, I was a musician. Um, and so... Um, what do you play? I play guitar, bass, a little bit of drums, dabble in piano. Um, but the... Um, they had asked me to lead worship long before I was ready to lead worship long before. Um, but you're still the, not quite interested in God, still kind of figuring that out. Yeah. It was still things about God kind of that I was primarily interested in the intellectual aspect of things mm-hmm. as opposed to. Well, that the makes sense with the kind of books you were reading. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so I always say when, when, when someone puts you in a position that you're not ready for it, either grows you up or it blows you up. And in my particular case, I was blessed because it grew me up and mm. I fell in I love. I guess I want to pause. I want you to say that again, slower for our listeners, because I think that's quite powerful mm. of when you're put yeah. in a position you're not ready for. Yes. It grows you up or it blows you up. Yeah. And some people, and, they get blown up and yep. it destroys them. I was just talking with my daughter this morning about that, about mm. having the character to be able to abide in a place God would put you in. Cause I've told him, I said, don't let me go somewhere where I can't handle. Mm-hmm. I need you to grow me up on the inside so I can handle. I have yeah. the integrity. I have the character. Like he did yeah. that with Joseph. He did that with, with David, with Daniel, you know, they had the character when they were put to the test, the character was to get, was there. Yeah. Unlike what you talk about Peter, when he was put to the test <laughs> the first time, you know, he, he wasn't there. I loved how you talked about in your book, I don't remember how you put it. it was so beautiful about how we think we have this faith and we don't. And you talked mm-hmm. about, I don't remember how you put it. It was so cool though, that the images or something that the signed right. document or something or other, we right. think we have this faith, but then right. we observe. Oh, we imagine, maybe... we imagine a deeper faith than we actually practice, right? You know, when we think about ourselves, we think of this hyper believer you know so so to speak but it's it's an it's we imagine ourselves that way when it comes down to waking up in the morning and putting our our feet on the floor and then actually living a life of integrity where we're oftentimes as i can say this for my own life we're not where we think we are Mm. right and and in the case of peter he was blessed because the rooster crowed yeah (laughs) the the rooster crowed and he's like and he knew he knew he wasn't where he thought he was yeah, and I love just... I love how he dealt with it, how Jesus dealt with it afterwards. And I had mm-hmm. my own situation. It wasn't a rooster crowing, but it was something right. that slapped that kind of reality to me. Because yeah. I was, you know, we're supposed to be committed. We're supposed to say, yeah, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. Yeah. And and someone arrested me with the words of like, by the grace of God, you will. Mm-hmm. Wow. 
And I, I it was like a menin slap, slap. Yeah. It's like, and we, that's the thing of humility because we believe that we're supposed to declare that. And so I have this faith, but we need to also embrace the truth that we're human. And, and we may, with all our heart, believe that just like, I believe Peter believed that. Mm-hmm. He really believed that with all of his yep. heart. And even yep. when the disciples, when they got in the boat, you know, and then the storm goes, you know, I believe if you were to ask them where their faith was at, they would have been in Jesus. Yeah. But when the storm came, that's not where their faith was at. Their faith was right. in the storm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, and so having this reality check of that. So I frequently like lean into the grace and I believe right. I believe this and help right. help me with that because there's teaching out there about having faith and people have gotten offended at it because it's been pushed the wrong way also because people think they have faith and they think that it's yes or no, mm. but sometimes it's, it's like a muscle, you know, right. I, I, I believe this much. Well, I need to believe this much. Well, I believe more and then you can handle more and you grow. Right. Like you said, it grows you up or it blows you up. Yeah. And we need to well, have that honesty of, do I really believe this? Or do I like the idea of this <laughs> or do I agree with this? But if I got pushed, come to shove, I'm not sure. I've done a whole lot of praying around that. So I just want to encourage our listeners to pause here and take a minute to evaluate where are you? Mm-hmm. And there's no shame where you are. Just right. own where you are and ask the Lord to grow you up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And to realize that, that, that faith is equal parts trust and surrender. Right. I mean, oftentimes I think when it comes to faith, we come into a, a specific circumstance thinking, I'm going to I'm going to trust God. I'm going to believe God and all these things, all these are, that are good and true things that we ought to be doing. But e- equal to that is surrender is, you know, t- is, is faith is saying, OK, Lord, um, maybe this circumstance isn't going to turn out the way I want it to. Right. Um, and yet I trust, <laughs> you know, that you st- that your way will be best or that you will redeem this. And, and we need that surrender in our lives. Mm-hmm. You know, if we're, and uh, that's, and that's real faith. I mean, when you look at the scripture too, those are the people with real faith. I mean, and you think of Hebrews chapter 11, where, you know, it goes, it talks about the heroes of the faith who, who through faith conquered kingdoms and, you know, they were delivered and, the, and this, it says still others were stoned. They were sawn in two. They went about destitute and poor, you know, they were, they are both examples of faith. Right. Mm-hmm. And and our and true faith understands that even though if this search circumstance doesn't turn out the way that I want it to, I can trust that God has something good. Not only good, I can trust that God has something something better. I mean, that's the beautiful thing about about God is that He is relentless in redemption. He is yeah. relentless in redemption. I, I oftentimes think, you know, I you know, when you sometimes we talk about, you know, People talk about free, uh, uh, free will versus God's sovereignty. And, and to me, it's a ridiculous pitting against each other. But sometimes I think when we look back in our, in our lives, I think, by the way, I think both are in the scriptures and and both are some are things we need to acknowledge and, and surrender to the Lord. But when we look back in our life, there are going to be circumstances. Well, what we're not going to say is, some, well, sometimes we're going to look back and we're going to say, oh, I see how God had a plan. And how God brought me through this to make me into the person I am today. We're going to have those moments where we go, where we see, I can see God's sovereign hand. I didn't see the plan, but now I see the plan, you know. But I think more than that, we are going to look back in our lives and what we're going to see is relentless redemption. We're going to see those circumstances where we came to a fork in the road and God said, go left. And we went right because we (laughs) wanted to go right because our friends said, go right. But God redeemed it. Amen. God didn't sovereignly make us go left, you know, Right. but he redeemed the circumstance. And I think I am so thankful to that, realizing that God is relentless in redemption. Redemption didn't stop 2000 years ago. It wasn't a one-time event. It is an everyday, every circumstance that God is constantly reaching into our lives and we make the right decision and it's a good thing. And God's pleased with us. Sometimes we make the wrong decision and God and his love redeems it. And yeah. brings us back to where we should be. Yeah, because he said it's written that he works all things together for yep. the good, not for yep. my best interest, how I want. That's right. not what it reads. Yep. He works all things yep. together for the good. He does not waste yep. anything. That's yep. how I like to look. He does not waste anything. Yep. Whatever is useful, he's going to take our our success. He's going to take our failure. He's going to use all of it and yep. weave something that's going to be amazing. It's going to help 
us help others, it's going to be, like you said, redemptive. Yeah. Yeah. And you look at the two, I mean, two of the biggest people in the scriptures, right? When you're in the New Testament, when you, is you got Peter and you got Paul, right? And you, and you have Peter who like had foot in mouth disease. It was always saying, seemed always seemed to be saying the wrong thing, doing the wrong thing, you know, and it didn't stop until after, you know, after he got saved, it continued to keep going. We're just, Peter just was one of those guys that so often said the wrong thing, did the wrong thing. Then you got Paul, you can't get worse than Paul. He's a murderer, um, a mass murderer celebrating the death of God's people. And yet God reaches into his life and he says, your life is not um, thrown away. You know, I'm going to take you, I'm going to redeem you, and I'm going to use you for something beautiful, right? Mm -hmm. And that's, um, and that's, that's a, for first off, that's a good thing for us to remember for our own lives, to realize that God constantly redeems. But it's also a bit of a warning <laughs> in that when someone else comes to God in repentance, God for, will forgive them and redeem them without our permission. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that is a step of faith on our own part, right? Because we have our own bitternesses and we want that the wrongdoer to suffer, <laughs> right? But if they will come to God truly in true repentance, um, God will God will redeem them as well. Yeah. You know, and, I, and I think that that's something that, it's something that's excited for, exciting for us, but it's also an act of faith and trust and surrender on our part to, to accept that God will do that in the lives of other people. Otherwise, we become, we become like Jonah, right? Where, where God... God saves a city that Jonah doesn't want saved and Jonah's upset about it. Right. Yeah, and Jonah uh, cares more about a dumb gourd than he does about people. Yeah. yeah but we exactly. need to know when, when we get a revelation of mercy, mm -hmm. when we get a revelation of mercy, it says mercy rejoices against judgment and yes. go and learn these things, you know, to have mercy. And it says, you know, I've he's shown the old man what is good, what the Lord mm -hmm. does require of you, but to, you know, do justly love mercy. And yep. to walk humbly with your God. When we understand mercy, and Jesus told the story of, you know, higher in the one in the beginning of the day, in the middle of the day, and later in the day, and later in the day. And, you know, it's my, he's, God has the right to do with his stuff what he wants. Yep. And we need to honor him as that. And as we get to know his character better, we get better at doing that. I believe mm -hmm. I know I'm nothing like I was before. And I, I celebrate that. I was just celebrating that. This past weekend, my husband retired in June, and we went out Saturday night with our kids, had a limo, went out went out to eat, had drinks, dinner, and had, there was dancing at the place, and we were all safe, and we paid for everything, and I just paused to marvel mm -hmm. at that, because mm -hmm. when we were first married, we had lots of financial issues. We were on welfare and on Medicaid when mm -hmm. I had my kids. I mean, we limos were things other people did. Mm -hmm. That was not even a thought to even think, you know, and when I got married, you know, his friend drove it, It's like, and I had a $20 dress from pennies, you know, it's like, mm -hmm. I didn't even have the value in myself to have a wedding dress. So mm -hmm. to have a limo the other day mm -hmm. and we paid for everything and they didn't have the regular limo we needed. So we had to get the bigger one if we wanted one at all. And it's like, God did that. Yeah. So listener, no matter yeah. where you're at, yeah. no matter how hard you, you are against people, no matter how much bitterness or anything you've got going on in your life, you hand it to God and he can, he can deal with it. He can yeah. deal with it and he will because he loves you so much. Yeah. And because he's a present God, he's here. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's, and, and that's the, I mean, that's the, that's the mind blowing thing to realize is that. We, we, we read the scripture and we, and we we see these great stories. I mean, even, you know, even you think of John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, right? Great scripture, probably the most quoted or most known scripture in the world at this particular time. And yet we can go, oh, for God so loved the world. You know, we, we leave it out there. Yeah. You know, we leave it kind of in a distance place. Or we think of the Psalms where it talks about how God's faithfulness extends to all generations. We're like, yeah, God's faithfulness to all generations. But again, it's generations that's out there. Mm-hmm. Right. And then, the, but the difference between those verses and then Paul, when he says, when he talks about um, God redeeming me, he says, it's, it's me. Like, and that's what God is. He's this personal God. He's Amen. all these, all these stories of the, the mighty, sovereign, powerful, omnipotent God. I mean, joy and peace come when we can bring those truths closer and not Amen. leave them out there. Not, Amen. it's not, it's, God isn't just interested in redeeming someone else. He's redeeming you. 
you know, God isn't just going to, the hounds of heaven aren't just chasing someone else's kids. They're chasing your kids, right? And, and to realize that God is, God is here with us. You know, God is sovereign. God is good. And God is here, you know, and that is, that is something if we can, if we can bring that truth close to us, I mean, that's, that's where walking in peace becomes possible. Amen. But see, he's so good that it's hard to fathom. Well, it even mm-hmm. says that in Ephesians that his yeah. love is beyond our capacity because, you know, yeah. he's God. And we need to pause for a minute and say, well, we need to understand that we won't completely understand because if we could understand him, then we would be the same as him. Right. You know, he, he, he is God. So he is yeah. higher and bigger and further and wider and all of yeah. that. And that's why we need one another to model this. Yeah. That's where we see, oh, wow, look at that person. Oh, look how they did that. Wow, they acted this way. And when we do things right, <laughs> and then we we unveil things correctly, then that can help others. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So tell us about your book. I brought it up a couple of times. Right. When did you write this exactly? And why did you write yeah. this? And then tell us about your book. So that was interesting. So I was preaching a, a five-week series, sermon series, and Easter 2018. And you know what? Easter is the Super Bowl for for believers, right? Everyone comes to church on Easter Sunday. And so you know the faithful are going to be there. You know, they're they're going to be when they're their best clothes. And then there's going to be the Christmas and Easter attenders. They're going to show up, right? And then there's this vast group of people who don't want to be there, but they're visiting family for Easter. And so they're at church. And so really what I, the way that my book got started was 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 me praying and one and asking God, how can I, how can I preach? and show that Christ is relevant to everybody, regardless of where they're at, right? Where it's not just another conversation, because this is the important thing. Oftentimes we seem, I, th- I think we limit God to the, or Jesus, to this idea that he's our savior. He absolutely is our savior, but he isn't just the savior of our souls. He's the lover of our souls. Amen. Right? And I'll so my- Say that again. Yeah. Jesus isn't just the savior of our souls. He's the lover of our souls. Amen. Right? We need to hear that so much more yeah. out there, because that is what- draws our heart to him. Yeah. And so my whole life growing up with the desire, with the desire to understand why, why is, why are people behaving this way? Why is this circumstance happening? Why is my dad acting this way? Why do I feel this way about it? Right. All these, these different scenarios. I've always had this idea to understand why. Um, And then we come across the scripture, you know, right beginning in Genesis chapter one, where it says, you know, we were created in the image of God, male and female in the image of God, we were created. And you got to ask yourself, what does that mean? What does it mean that we were created in the image of God? I mean, we—it doesn't mean God runs about on two legs, right? It doesn't—it doesn't mean that you know God's hair falls out when he gets older, like 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 me. It, it clearly doesn't mean anything like that. And so, as I was working through the scriptures, and as I was specifically working on the series on how can I help people understand that Jesus is relevant to them, um, not not simply on a from a sinner salvation aspect, but from an existential aspect, you know, and the realization that to, that to be created in the image of God, and as, as we, as we, my book, of course, is titled The Magnetic Heart of God, Understanding the Five Cravings of Your Soul. And so the five cravings of our soul, as I go through them, are security. We're all craving security, right? And I, can, I, I break security down into two, two departments, physical security and relational security. You know, we want to survive and we want to know our hearts are safe in the hands of those who hold them. And then the second craving of our soul, I believe, is identity. And the identity asks those four questions. Who am I? Why am I? Do I have value? Do I have purpose? We can have all the security in the world, but if we don't know who we are, we ain't going to find peace. It doesn't matter how much money we have. We're not going to find peace. And then the third craving of our soul is, is, is independence. And that independence is that cry for freedom. To, to have autonomy. Um, so much of our history is based on that. We looked back, just this hunger that we desire to, to be free. But it's also the desire for individuality, to say that I'm not you, you're not me, I'm unique. And of course, that comes big into our faith, is to realize our faith is a relational faith based on that individuality, right? God just didn't just die for the world. He died for me, right? Mm-hmm. Um and then that third, that fourth craving is significance. You know, there's there's something within us that that needs to know we are special. You know, it's it's different than than independent, it, where independent wants to be set apart. Significance wants to be placed above. We need to know there's something special about us. 
And then the fourth, the fifth one is is innocence. We're all craving innocence. And this is if if you're reading psychological journals, you're going to find the first four: security, identity, independence, significance, everywhere. For the hundreds of years, psychologists and psychiatrists have written on this topic, but our our need for these things. The the, the fifth one, that's the theologian in me that has come out and that put has put put that in there. Our craving, our need for innocence, and this is fascinating. Almost all friction we see in our society today is based on our soul's craving for innocence, right? It, it comes right down to the smallest thing where, where, you know, you tell me to, my wife tells me, you know, put your, you left your socks on the floor, <laughs> right? And I have two choices. I can acknowledge my guilt of putting the socks where I shouldn't and pick them up. Or what we most often do is we, we pick up our socks, but we got to push back a little bit. Well, you left out your teacup, right? Or, or what? Where there's this desire in us to, 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 so to, to, we can't, we don't want to be guilty. We want to be innocent. So we're constantly trying to defend our innocence. And the magnetic heart of God aspect comes in is God placed these soul cravings inside of us for the purpose of drawing us to Himself. See, we can't find them anywhere else. And the problem and the pain that we see in the world today is because everyone is trying to find them somewhere else, right? We're, we're trying to find peace in money. It doesn't work, right? We're, we're trying to find it in, in, you know, expressing our inner self, whatever we think that is. And it's, that's a dead end street, right? We're trying to establish our own innocence. You know, we're trying to, you know, establish our own significance. And it, that's why you can look at, you look at the world's richest most famous people, yeah, they got comfortable lifestyles, but they're not happy. Mm. They're not happy, right? Happiness. Yeah. And so the point of these five cravings, the reason the book is called The Magnetic Heart of God, because it's only in him that these can actually be truly satisfied. God placed these cravings inside of us for the purpose of drawing us back to himself. And that's where we realize God just isn't the savior of my soul. God is the lover of my soul. God is in is 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 where I'm going to find peace. I was designed to live in connection with my maker. And as long as I am living in disconnection with my maker, I can't find peace. See, ultimately that's what peace is. You know, where where I talk later in the book about the mega goal of humanity and the mega goal of humanity is peace, right? Our greatest need as humanity is grace because we're all, we've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God, but our greatest desire is peace and peace is only experienced when all five cravings of our soul are satisfied simultaneously right like i said i can i can feel secure in my home and you know know who i am but if someone is making me feel guilty i won't have peace i'll want to run right mm-hmm. right or i you know i can feel innocent and i can feel self-righteous and i can have great you know great wealth but if, so- if someone is is making me feel smaller if i don't know who i am i won't have peace True inner peace, the peace that everyone is circumstance. This is what the whole world is looking for. Now, I, I honestly believe this. it started off with someone walking, right? We went, we went walking, we had a walking stick and we walked along and then we learned how to ride a horse and we rode a horse so we could go further, right? And then we created a wagon so we could take more stuff with us. And then we learned how to build a boat and we crossed an ocean, right? And now then we rented a plane. So now I can fly back and forth and now, a, and then, a, you know, a, a, a rocket so we could, lo- what are we looking for? We're looking for peace. We're looking for that thing that is like, everything is okay. And we're not going to find it where we're looking. Right. We're only going to find it in our maker. Right. And so God lovingly put within us these five cravings for the purpose of drawing us back to himself. At some point we have to realize, you know what? Um, you know, there's some single ladies out there, single men out there. They're just, they're like, they're obsessed. I got to find the right man. And then all this is going to happen. And we know it's, we know that that's not going to make the problems go away. It's going to introduce a whole new set. Others of us are, I mean, I remember making $12 an hour, being convinced if I could just make 15, I'll be happy. Right? And then I made 15 and I decided, ah, oh, if I could just make 20, I'll be happy. And then 20 and then 30, 40, 50. Just kept going and going and going and going. You look at the world's richest people today, it's not enough. Right? Yeah. When you're saying that God put these in us to bring us back to him, what rose up in me was a homing device. Mm-hmm. It's like you put them in us like a homing device. Yeah. So we can exactly. find our way home. Yeah. Well, it's like you think of you think of those butterflies, right? Or or those birds that it's like 
butterflies, for an example, like they're, they're up in Canada, butterflies, right? And they migrate down to South America somehow. Matter, and they go, yeah. yeah, and they go to the same tree. You know, how is this, you know, there's this drive that pulls them, you know, or I remember reading something about sea turtles a while ago. You know, these sea turtles are born, they go into the water and they swim, they navigate the ocean to go across the, the world to, to eat at the bottom of some little particular spot, right? It's like, yeah, we we have within us that homing. That's why I call it the magnetic heart of God pulling us, drawing us to himself, right? Yeah. And of course, but because of the sin nature, because of our sinfulness, we keep looking for these things in all the wrong places, right? So if, if I was talking to the listeners right now, I would remind you that what you are looking for is security, identity, independence, significance, and innocence. And Jesus offers to them to you right now. That that's what he longs to give you. That's and only in him are you actually going to find these things in any last lasting place, any safe place. So yeah. yeah. But then also I would like to add to that because it's completely true, yet it's not instantaneously felt. Right. It's a journey that we go on, yeah. that we begin, and he will unveil that to us. He will yeah. work that into us and work things out of us like you work, you know, food coloring into frosting and yeah. you work yeast into dough. He he brings that about through process. So I don't want to yeah. mislead, mislead our listeners. This is not an instantaneous, you know, you say some Jesus come into my heart mm-hmm. thing and now instantaneously yeah. you have peace and your life's perfect. Yeah. And no, we are not yeah. saying that. Right. But I'm it puts so- you on the road. <laughs> I'm so glad you brought that up. It opens the door. We're saying, come in and show me the way. (laughs) Yeah. I'm so glad you brought that up because honestly, I believe that that's the reason that there's, there's an epidemic going on right now of young people not coming, not, not going to church anymore, you know, Mm -hmm. of people falling. And I think a large of it has, because we have in, I, I would say with good intention, there has been this message that's gone, basically come to Jesus and all your problems will go away. Oh no, they won't. No, they won't, right? In fact, a whole, perhaps a whole new group of them will come up, right? Yeah, My, and so I'm, I'm just, so, there's so much to learn. It, it's yeah. like if you wanted to become a rocket scientist, you don't yeah. enter into school and suddenly you know everything. Right. It, yeah. there's, it, it's he's God. There's a lot to know. Yeah. That's how I loved, like you said at the beginning about just talking about your book and how can I reach people no matter where they're at. That is such yeah. a loving, kind attitude that i wish more pastors had Mm. because people are in different places and there are reasons they are there we should not be heaping condemnation on anyone why aren't you going to church why are you doing this how about how can how can i share this with you and you talked about it being existential i've heard i have trouble saying that word (laughs) me too but it but it it really does boil down to that that is really where we need it's about our existence. We need to yeah. contemplate our existence mm-hmm. because we are mysteriously complex, created right. in the image of the Almighty, who is much more complex than us. We're just right. like a little bit of a mirror, a little bit. <laughs> so, well, and it started in the Garden of Garden of Eden. I mean, that's the that's the interesting thing. We think of Adam and Eve, right? And we and we think of the garden as kind of this thing in our in our mind as like the perfect place, right? The, the, but like we know what perfect is. Right, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but the Adam and Eve existed in a perfect state of security, identity, independence, significance, and innocence, right? Go through all the whole we could unpack a whole lot of that. Yeah. And then what? And then the serpent shows up, right? And what does the serpent say? <laughs> right. And of course, this is the challenge of all the serpent is always whispering the same things to us, right? He says, Did God really say? Right? He makes you wonder, did did God really say this? Can I really trust him? Is that word really true? Did God really? And then Satan goes, and then the serpent goes on to, you know, to really, to try to say, you know what? God is just, he doesn't want you to eat from this tree because he wants to keep you down. He knows if you eat from this tree, you're going to become like him, you know, and um, God's real interest is keeping you down, right? So Adam, Adam's like, did God really say? And what he does is he shakes Adam and Eve's, or the serpent says that, he shakes Adam and Eve's security and their identity. Can I really trust God? You know, can, can I, do I really want to identify with, with, with a God who's trying to keep me down? And Adam and Eve, you know, 
<laughs> they take the bait, <laughs> you know, so so to speak. So they they trade their security and their identity for a counterfeit significance and 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 um independence. Yeah. And and because of that, they lose their innocence. It all comes crashing down in the Garden of Eden right, at that very particular moment. And we've been scouring the globe ever since. I mean, that's yeah. been the world ever since. We're just like we're just looking for it all in all the wrong places. We're looking for it in people, we're looking for it in money, we're looking for it in fame, we're looking for it in sex, we're looking for it in all these places. And like I said, I'm glad you brought that up. I'm not suggesting that you you ask, say Jesus come into my heart and all of a sudden you're going to have all these. It's going to be a walking with the Lord where he refines us, where he changes us, where we change our priorities, right? Um, to align with his better priorities, right? When we lay down our will and receive his greater will, it's a journey. It's a process, but only in him is it actually possible. Yeah. Yeah. That's so true. That's so true. So your website says that you are connecting hungry souls to the joy of their maker. Can you expound on what you mean by that? Yeah. So really that, that, that has to do with the five cravings of our soul. What I really want to do is to, re is to help people realize first off, see, when I talked, I talked to a lot of people, some people are, are Christians. Some people are, are psychologists. Some people are atheists that just are interested in kind of the idea of the whole concept. Um, and I want to help people remember who they are. They are the sons and the daughters of God designed to walk in relationship with him. That is reality. The gospel at its core. You know, if you, if you ask a, you know, a bunch of theologians, what is the gospel? They're going to give you a whole bunch of different answers. They're going to say, oh, the gospel is about the death and resurrection of Christ. That'll be one person. The next theologian is going to say the gospel is about the coming kingdom of God. Um, the next theologian is going to say the gospel is about grace through faith. And all of those things are true. But ultimately, when you when it comes right down to it, the gospel presents reality. The gospel presents us with the reality that we have wandered from God and that we need to be saved. The gospel presents us with the reality that a Savior has come to save us. The gospel presents us with the reality that the Holy Spirit wants to walk alongside us and renew us and restore us. Um, and so, if I if I could say anything to to um, these your listeners here, it, it would be this. More than a brain or a body, you are a soul. You are a soul created, lovingly created in the image of God to find your hope and your strength in him. And we live in a world right now, to be honest, that treats us like animals. We go to schools that convince us we are just another animal. Right. And because of that, we act like as you are not just another animal. Amen. You are a soul created in the image of God. You are more than a brain. You are more than a body. You are a soul. It is that soul that defines who we are. Um, and the magnetic heart of God is wanting to draw us back to himself. And um, for us, for, there are probably a whole bunch of your listeners right now um, thinking that if God will just save this relationship, everything will be okay. If God will just give me an answer to my finances, everything will be okay. <clears throat> um, the reality is that it, that it might not, that, that the finances might not solve the problem, that the relationship might not solve the problem, but God will solve the problem. When we truly begin to put our hope and our trust in him, when we look to him as our source of security, when we look to him as our source of identity, independent significance and innocence, that is the only place that we will actually find lasting peace. And so I would encourage people to not believe the lie that says you are an animal. Amen. You are a brain. You are a body. That is what the world is obsessed with. Everything in the world today is catering to the brain and the body. I love the fact that we are finally talking about mental health in mm -hmm. the world today. There was, there was a long time when we wouldn't talk about mental health. But there, I, I at the same time, I would caution us to realize that sometimes the issue is the soul. Right. And I think that it's important for us to um, um, realize that uh, that is the part of us that is made in the image of God, designed to connect with him 
And there are a whole lot of people, the reason we see so much frustration, so much anger, even amongst people who seem to have it all. I mean, you look at you look at some of the most famous people in the world today, some of the most miserable people in the world today. They have everything that we think we need to be a fine happiness. Um, and yet it isn't there. It's found only in connection with God. And so I would encourage people, don't just look to Jesus as your savior. Look to him as the lover of your soul. Yeah. The core of the story, I believe, is the heart of the matter is the heart of the matter. Mm -hmm. It's it's right. our heart. It's all about our heart. We, we give him our heart and he can do such amazing things with it. On your website, it said the joy of your maker. That's what I was focusing right. in on because it's right. the joy of your maker. There's two ways to look at that. One is we receive the joy through that connection. We partake mm -hmm. of joy because we're reconnected but i believe that he gets great joy out of that reconnection as well yeah, absolutely and that's a view i think is lacking in our world that like in zephaniah it talks about how he celebrates us he mm -hmm. dances over us with joy so yeah. you are who are listening i want you if you've never thought about god being joyful about mm -hmm. you i want you to pause and dare and think about that because mm -hmm. it says that he dances over you with joy yes. and to he desires that personal connection with him that Corey mm -hmm. has been talking about today he, he desires that and just like anyone else you meet you just start at the beginning of the relationship you don't yeah. meet someone in your best friends in three seconds it, yeah. it's a relationship and it takes give and take and talking and connection and mistakes and all that jazz because we're human yeah yeah absolutely so is there anything Corey, that you want to make sure our listeners hear from you today that maybe you forgot or coming up inside of you they're like oh i want to share this right um i guess what i would really want people to realize is to step back and step away from the noise um and just like you said we're saying there and realize God is big. God is great, um, inconceivable, right? But he's also here and he desires that connection with each one of us. And um, I would just encourage you to press into that connection. And so if you'd like to learn more about my, the magnetic heart of God, it's, av it's available wherever books are sold. You could, you can order it. Um, you can go on my website, CoreyRosenke.com to, to learn more information if you'd like. Um, really, like I said, I wrote the book to help people realize that God isn't just a savior of their souls. He's the lover of their souls. Um, when we talk about Jesus, it's not just talking about the sin issue. It's talking about existence. We yeah. are designed to be connected with him. That is that is our design. And only when we come back to that design where we can we find that true joy. It's like it's like it's like, it's like a hammer. You know, finally being used, you know, you can use it as a paperweight, but that's not what it, is, what it was designed for. <laughs> you can use it, you know, you can try to use an orange as a hammer, but it won't work, right? But when something is used and placed and, it's, and used as it was designed for, that's where that joy and that peace comes from. When you're finally doing, you're finally in that place. Where I, I say this in my book where I'm talking about identity. Identity feels like home. When we, when we find a true identity and there is no home like Christ, right? Yes, he's the savior, um, but he's also, he's our home. He's that place where our soul is going to find rest. And so I would just encourage people to press into him. Amen. Well, where can people connect with you? You said CoreyRosenke.com. Are you on yep. any socials as well? Any other places yep. people should look? Absolutely. CoreyRosenke.com is my website. Um, Corey Rosenke Ministries. I'm on Facebook. Um, C. Rosenke um, is on, on Twitter. I just 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 got on Twitter, just learning. It's a totally different cat, just trying to learn how that sort of thing works. <laughs> it's a little bit intimidating. Um, but yeah, my really, that's my why. I just want to get... I, I just want to get the message out there to people that um, more than a brain and a body, you are a soul. And that soul is craving its maker. And that's where we're going to find joy. That's where we're going to find peace. And so press into him. Um, and so that, when, I, when I'm on social media, that's what I'm talking about. When I'm on my website, that's what I'm talking about. When I'm on a podcast, that's what I'm talking about. Um, I can't sleep at night if I don't. <laughs> oh, you found your home. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yes. Yeah. 
Oh, well, thank you for being with me today, Corey. This has been delightful and just so meaty today. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. I so much appreciate the time. And our listeners, thank you for being with us today. And as always, remember, I love you. Until next time. Thank you so much for listening to the Victorious Souls Podcast. You matter and you are loved. We'd love to connect with you further. So please visit us at daniellebernock.com and grab a copy of Danielle's free audiobook. And remember, only you can change your life. No one can do it for you.